On July 7, 2023, the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India released a consultation paper titled The Regulatory Mechanism for the Over-the-Top Communication Services and Selective Banning of OTT Services. Welcome to another episode of the Security Chips podcast, where we talk about everything related to cybersecurity and data privacy. I am Colin Cherian, and I'm joined by Isha Suri, Research Lead at the Center for Internet and Society, to discuss this paper and the level playing field argument. Isha, before we move to the main discussion, I am curious to know what does a research lead do? Hi, hi, Colin, and thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, That's a tough one to answer, really. What does a research lead do? I can broadly talk about uh, areas that interest us and what do we try to do, right? The CIS Center for Internet and Society looks at how technology interacts with society, interacts with digital rights, and and largely just uh, how does new emerging tech interact with the day-to-day of a normal human being. Uh, uh, largely, my focus areas revolve around telecom, uh, internet governance, and uh, competition, antitrust, so on and so forth. So, what do we do? We basically track the recent developments, both from the government, policymakers, industry, and look at how it impacts each one of us, and try to make relevant issues part of mainstream discourse, and do our bit in making a meaningful and lasting change. And then, in doing that, I am helped with a great team. And, and a set of uh, equally imp- uh, passionate and enthused colleagues. Right. That, that sounds interesting. Now, specific to your role, uh, how does one become a research leader? I don't know. I, I think um, doing research for a large number of years is probably one part of how you get there and, and being uh, passionate about it. Uh, uh, is another uh, part of doing it. And doing it in day in and day out and just getting better at it, I think, with time is, is how one really becomes a research lead. I mean, it takes a lot of effort. Uh, uh, and I think just being involved in the process, really, uh, I think that's something my mentor very early on in my career told me that don't think that one person really makes a change or don't think that you alone will be able to change the world. Uh, if it happens, it happens. But what is important is that policy begets repetition. What you say today might reach the policymakers table tomorrow. It might reach the policymakers table 10 years from now. But you just have to keep at it, probably, and never lose sight about why you're doing what you're doing. And the hope really is that uh, at some point, what you're saying also becomes a priority for the policymaker. And, And you just have to keep at it and be true to the process. Don't compromise on the process, uh, uh, and then there are no shortcuts, really. And and that's what I keep telling myself every other day, that policy begets repetition. You've just started doing it. And if you're lucky, it might reach the right table at the right time. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that. I think that's great advice. Now, Isha, it's interesting that you brought up that you work with telecom. So you would be aware of how the term OTT is thrown around in the public discourse. Can you help our listeners understand the type of OTT platforms that we would be discussing today? Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, if, if anyone's been following the debate closely, they would know that the word OTT and as it came about being talked about in the Indian discourse is also contested by various stakeholders in the ecosystem without delving too much into it. And I think that calls for a separate sort of a debate altogether. The focus of the consultation paper that was released on July 7th, uh, this specifically try has zeroed down on two types of uh, OTT services. Uh, and one is the communication services, uh, which is your messaging. And the other is your uh, content providers, so your OTT media. Uh, so this would be the likes of your large content providers that you see. So for instance, your Netflix, your Amazon, so on and so forth. So the Tri-CP, the most recent one, only talks about or tries to talk about these two. And they also specifically uh, say that the others are other online services such as e-commerce. So I think for this discussion per se, we can largely say, uh, one can never be sure, but we can largely say that the consultation paper restricts itself to discussing about these two specific types of uh, OTT services that they've defined. Right, this helps. But when we discuss about OTTs in the policy circle, there is this phrase that I often encounter. It is leveling the playing field. What does that really mean? Great question, Colin. And I think the jury is still out about what does it really mean. I can perhaps spend some time in telling, talking about where it began, really, in India, at least. I think the discourse roughly started somewhere in 20. 15. And prior to that, also, you had the telecom service providers uh, uh, saying that, you know what, there are same service and there are same rules. And by same service, same rules, they say that with the advent of these OTT communication services that you see, so for, for example, your WhatsApp, Telegram, they've basically made mobile messaging services or the um, uh, messaging services of the year obsolete. And they, they make this argument of substitutability. So basically, they say that you know our services and these OTT communication services are substitutable. Now, they say that. And on the same breath, they also say that we are a heavily regulated industry. right? The, the telecom industry is a very heavily regulated industry. And there is no denying that. However, OTTs are not regulated. And, and therefore, there is this issue of regulatory arbitrage, which means that we are, even though we are offering same services, and, and I'll, I'm going to qualify that, the regulatory field is not similar. And that is inherently discriminatory. And they demand that OTTs should also be regulated. And, and I'll tell you why I think, in my humble opinion, this is a flawed argument to be making. Let's, let's also look at whether this, 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 remark about OTTs are not regulated really holds water or not? And the answer is no. And it's a very simple no. In fact, if you also look at the consultation paper that we're currently discussing, TRI itself sort of goes into which parts are regulated and which parts need to be regulated. There is, whenever you talk about the internet, there is also, it is very important to understand that each one of them looks at a specific layer, right? The TSPs are the carriage carriage layer. And that is why you see all of these rules, uh, 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 these regulations in the TSP space, because they're also controlling the infrastructure or the access layer as we know it. The OTTs do not own any part of the carriage layer, right? They don't own any part of the infrastructure layer. So to therefore say that, you know, we are same service, 
and therefore the rules should be same i think is is stretching it it a bit much and it is also disingenuous to say that otts are not regulated coming to that answer about uh, this remark about substitutability i think even when we go deeper into that whole point about substitutability one would realize that there are regulators across the globe who have denied and busted that myth because for sure you know uh, uh, whenever you look at what you can do with an whatsapp as opposed to what you can do with an instant uh, with a mobile messaging service or an sms as we call it it's not same you can do much more with a whatsapp than you can do with a simple sms sharing of media i mean the uh, the list can go on and on secondly any substitutability analysis really uh the closest you can think of or at least i can think of is a market regulator really going in where the competition commission of india as we know would probably be best suited to look at it would be best suited to see whether the two these two services are substitutable or are not substitutable and they have the the skills and the tools to undertake such an analysis and if my memory serves me correctly there was actually a case at cci sort of uh an order that cci gave on uh, vinod kumar gupta versus competition commission of india where they have also said that these two are actually not substitutable so i think you know let's just not stretch this too much uh, uh, because the minute you do that i think we also lose sight about issues which are important really uh, so yeah the other sort of point i also want to make and and the only point i think where you know telcos when they say that there are in a lot of financial distress is that the levies on telecom service providers in india are immense right you still have licensing fees you still have spectrum usage charges uh, uh, and and in, according to one estimate india is one of the he most heavily taxed markets in the world uh, on top of that you already pay a steep price for the auctions and and in that regard i think the answer or the correct response is that their levies may need to be rationalized and the government may want to look at that aspect because uh, spectrum usage charges and licensing fees are a relic of the era when there were no auctions now that you have auctions maybe you want to rationalize some of those fees but again the answer cannot be that you know you also start taxing somebody else because we are being taxed so heavily because two wrongs will never make a right so i i feel like in that aspect alone even when the telco sort of say that same regulation i don't think that two wrongs will make this a right so so that would be my answer that rationalizing their levies is distinct from just asking for arbitrary imposition and unfair imposition on the ott players well you elaborately explained what is the level playing field argument but i also keep hearing other phrases as well for example the sender pays and that otts are free riders where do these phrases fit in the matrix of the level playing field argument yeah i think i mean uh, very valid points one does wonder where these come from and uh, are they new terms have they been around forever uh, did they how did one come up with it and and to be fair this is not a new discussion right i'm i'm, I'm going to put this out there and i think it also goes back to our point about how issues probably remain same decades after decades and your arguments also largely remain same it was actually in the eu also in 2010 2012 these discussions had begun and the european regulator the, which is called the berec b e r e c sort of did not find much merit when they said that uh, uh sending party network pays is also one word that you would hear now recently uh, these conversations have reinitiated and the reason that they have reinitiated 
is a host of factors. One is, of course, there is this uh, uh, regulators across the world have also woken up to this fact that you have these big uh, uh, companies and you have these, as they're called, the big tech. Uh, uh, and there is definitely a wave that you want to tame these bigger players, right? But again, as I would say, these are two very distinct issues. Now, what the TSPs or the telecom operators really say is that there, there are a bunch of companies that these big companies account for 50% of the traffic over the internet and they should be expected to contribute towards carrying that traffic, right? You should be paying a fair share of the traffic that the, we have to carry by on account of you, right? Like these five players that they've sort of identified and they say 50% of the traffic is yours and you end up paying nothing for the traffic that we had to carry. And they sort of juxtapose that to saying that this feeds into the investments that we need to legitimately make, right? Like, as you all know, telecom is a very infrastructure intensive sector. So that is what they say. But again, I'd say that there is a flaw and an inherent flaw here. And the inherent flaw being that it's a lie when they say that you are not paying for this traffic or the telcos don't receive money for this traffic. I, as a consumer, am paying for my broadband connection. And for better and more superior quality of services, you actually pay a lot of money today in any part of the world. So in effect, what will happen is not only are they charging from me, the consumer, but they're also going to be charging from these identified companies or all content providers based on or proportionate to the traffic they carry. So, so in, in one word, you're being paid twice for the same service. And uh, uh, sorry, you're being paid twice for just carrying that content. And I think it's not fair to the consumer. And it is also a way of extracting monopoly rent because eventually what will happen is that you have these in India for instance is a duopoly so you will have these two large giants being able to extract monopoly rent just because they are enabling the delivery of that content over the access layer I'll stop here because I think we'll also go deeper into some of these issues individually and I want to leave some time for that but feel free to ask me anything you want me to elaborate upon right now yeah. right now in an Indian Express article you mentioned about South Korea implementing some sort of a level playing field I want to know what did South Korea do and how did it work out for South Korea Thanks, thanks, Colin. I'm going to correct you there uh, because I don't think South Korea really started with a level playing field argument, right? And I'm going to, and I'll tell you why I'm saying that. I'm just as off late become very paranoid about the words that we use. Uh, the rationale was same. You're absolutely right. Where South Korea in 2016 toyed with this idea, not really toyed with this idea. So South Korea implemented the sending party network pays or the SPNP as we call it in 2016. Where basically what they did is that they allowed ISPs to charge fees for the volume of traffic they were exchanging. And in 2016, it was only limited to the ISPs, which is the internet service providers. But it had a very detrimental effect. Now, why will it have a detrimental effect? Because again, if, if you look at the ecosystem around you, so you'll see there are some big players, you'll see there are some small players. 
and whenever you look at regulations and whenever you look at impact of regulations you will realize that it's almost always the smaller players that feel the burden of onerous regulations more than the bigger players it's not your big tech that really will cover down or die out of business right it will be your smaller players because the compliance cost becomes too much for them to operate in the ecosystem up uh, pursuant to that a couple of years later south korea made further amendments to their bill uh, uh, to the the regulatory landscape actually uh, where they said that even content players such as your netflix uh, uh, amazon so on and so forth the content players will also have to pay a network fee now what this really led to i mean the long and short of this all is that a it increased the cost of internet access and these are not theoretical things right this is something that we saw we've seen in a jurisdiction uh, the cost of access according to one estimate became 8 to 10 times of what it was in say in the eu or 5 to 6 times of what it was in the us you also saw that latency had increased because ultimately when the option is for a price increase or you have to pay or you you what you see is that some people will just degrade their quality of services and that itself will have an impact on the consumer and perhaps one thing that one doesn't really think through when we look at new regulations or propose new regulations is that sometimes the harms that a regulation might do are so much that you constantly need to regulate more or get more uh, uh regulations in place to mitigate some of those harms or to mitigate some of those uh harms that were created by virtue of this uh one policy that you brought about so what you once saw in south korea was that there was need for more regulation to correct unintended consequences and there was also litigation another sort of point i think which would be relevant for the indian context also is that the south korean content providers really found it very hard to operate so so they sort of uh, found it very hard to operate in the ecosystem so there was a decrease in the number of south korean content providers and that also leads to diversity of choice for the consumer if i as a consumer a how am i impacted my cost of internet has you know gone up my quality of services has degraded because you know some people to comply had to resort to certain practices which led to degradation of services and on top of all that content providers that could not comply went out of business so as an end consumer these telcos were also able to control what i was able to see or not see and this is not something which is apparent at the get go but i think the south korean example is important and that is why you also see it being mentioned uh, in the indian express article because you have a a jurisdiction that has implemented it and has these ripple effects and lastly you know you also have to juxtapose that with the indian case study south korea had nearly 96 to 97% good broadband access we are nowhere there our wired broadband access numbers according to the latest sort of tri performance indicators reports are somewhere at 3.8% so we are nowhere there and on top of that in a price sensitive market like india if we were to have all of these issues you know one can only imagine what the harms will be like now i have to admit to an unassuming consumer this may all sound like a slippery slope argument 
But South Korea's example does help convey the practical implications of implementing such a regulatory regime. Now, within the consultation paper, Asia, there is some exploration of the idea that OTTs can or should collaborate with telecom service providers. How will such a collaboration look like? You know, Colin, I, if you were to ask me, and I also speak as someone that was uh, that's been around in the sector, worked with the Competition Commission of India during the telecom market study, right? Now, my experience in the domain tells me that the nature of relationship between the TSPs and OTTs are symbiotic, right? And and when I say symbiotic, it's because let's break it down. You as a consumer and me as a consumer, we want to watch series on Netflix, right? And what does that do? That is, you are, you will have a data pack. You will pay for that data pack. You will also be paying for that data pack. Through, sometimes, you know, you will. We will. We all want like the most superior of data packs to be able to enjoy some of those superior services that we do. And who benefits from it? It's not only Netflix that benefits from it. It's also your telecom service provider that's benefiting from it due to those uh, 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 internet access packs, those subscription packs and the subscription fees that you're paying. So to my mind, the nature is very symbiotic. Symbiotic because these content players need the telcos for their traffic to be delivered to the end consumer. However, on the other side, even the telcos need these OTTs to drive demand, to drive the demand for the data packs. Now, let's look at the counterfactual. What if you and I were not interested in, in, in watching that latest series that Amazon Prime launches or that latest movie that we all have been wanting to watch for uh, eyeing for weeks? You will not be demanding or you will not be upgrading your packs to that extent. And who will lose? Even your telcos will lose. So I, I do feel that the nature is, is symbiotic. It's not that uh, your Netflix and Amazon is sending the content. The content is being demanded from the end consumer. And, uh, you know, there already are relationships between these two also. And, and when I say there are already relationships between these two, like you'll see your bundled packs. Uh, you do a subscription. And sometimes your subscription pack will come bundled with some OTT player or not, right? Like you'll get a three-month top-up along with this uh, uh, subscription fee that you've played. So these are those nature of partnerships that one sees between these two players. And these partnerships are very business-focused in nature. They're not altruistic in nature. They're business-focused because both are really benefiting from each other. And I think that is a very, very important uh, point to take into account and then there can definitely be for sure there is a need for more collaboration between the two you can uh, look at what those nature of partnerships can be but at the same time i will also uh, there'll be this fair warning from you the caveat from me would also be that it should not be to the detriment of smaller players whatever these partnerships or synergies that you look for right and the other, and how do you mitigate some of those harms? For instance, transparency could be a, a way forward, right? Like you could in, ensure or try could ensure that some of these arrangements, even these business partnerships arrangements or the peering arrangements that one goes through, uh, mostly they're settlement free. But uh, if I, uh, you know, this Competition Commission of India Market Study also pointed towards how 
lack of transparency could again lead to uh, smaller ISPs, you know, uh, being hurt or being discriminated. I'm not saying there is evidence of that yet, or you know, there is. A, but but what I'm saying is that collaboration and partnership is good. But those contours of those partnerships, you also have to take into account that they are not discriminatory against any player, especially the smaller players. So yeah, with that, I would stop. But yes, to be there is already some form of collaboration. Is it at an optimum level? The jury is still out. We can definitely talk more about how those could be more efficient in nature. But I will say that that there is no evidence of market failure also, and and there is no evidence of market failure. in any part of the world so therefore any sort of regulatory intervention i don't think we reach there that you know the regulator has to come and ask for a particular player to be paying these telcos because there is no evidence of market failure that has been demonstrated by these telecom service providers so it is just them sort of right now whining about it you know uh, uh, pardon me but yes that's that's what how i put it and and lastly i mean one of the biggest myths is that it is not true that these players do not invest in the infrastructure the reason that you see the content and the quality of content is also because these players have invested significant amounts in content delivery networks caches servers so on and so forth in fact by one estimate uh, uh, these companies like the content companies the caps as they are called in the eu they have invested roughly 900 billion us dollars on just the investments in infrastructure and actually save telcos also some amount of money so i i do feel that uh, uh, that is also something that should be on the table that telcos are not the only uh, part of this ecosystem that are investing even these players are investing in the infrastructure and any form of collaboration should look at how much each stakeholder is already contributing uh and some form of partnerships already exist we also have to take that into account right you did hint about certain adverse effects of these collaboration even if they haven't come about but i wanted to know if there would be any effect on net neutrality when and if such collaboration happens that's a good point right and it will have an impact on net neutrality even though in the eu there was there is a huge like opposition to this whole proposal and in fact that is something that i think we've not captured enough in the indian media is that uh, you know in the eu also there is a lot of opposition to this proposal it's not something that is a given yet like there are people who are fighting against this their opponents who highlighted some of the point that you've been talking about its impact on competition for instance uh, uh its impact on net neutrality for instance so for instance uh, and the in the eu they've clarified they've said that we will make sure that adherence to net neutrality principles remain but again that remains to be seen right but any sort of discriminatory or differential pricing regime in itself uh, uh is opposite to the principles of net neutrality and and i'll give you an a scenario right like so for instance if isps and telcos are allowed to change uh, charge differential fees so they can penalize those who can't pay as as we were talking about even the south korean example right so again uh, the argument that comes from the other side is no we'll only be asking these identified larger players to pay it will have no impact on net neutrality i think that first principle is in itself is unfair like it doesn't make 
for any uh, robust argument and also because those four five players are not the gatekeepers of this particular layer right the gatekeepers are your telecom service providers here and any sort of reg regulation if we have any sort of regulation that is looking at taming market power that looks at who the gatekeepers in the ecosystem are in this the gatekeepers are your telcos so that's that's where i feel this whole end about we'll only be charging the big players is flawed but the other part is also the same point like what if these isps tsps charge differential fees or uh, in south korea for example we saw that uh, isps were allowed to refuse carrying traffic if they were someone was not able to pay network usage fees that lies like you know drives home the point that that's the whole point of having robust net neutrality principles where you cannot have any paid prioritization you cannot have any blocking or throttling and 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 there is no way that you can safely say that we will have this but it will have no impact on net neutrality at least to my mind well thanks isha thanks for answering all these questions but now i notice that you are an engineer turned lawyer i'm just curious to understand if your engineering background helped you in your career that's a great question honestly and that's also a question that i often ask myself and this is very personal this is i'm i'm going to look at it from something that gives me a lot of strength and how i've always approached learning and education and i think you learn skills and you pick up skills and those skills really help you if the answer if someone were to ask me are you a technology researcher no i am not a technology researcher i largely deal with policy and all of those things but does my engineering background help me oh, 110% really and i go back to the basics my engineering degree really helped me frame and structure problems well right it it helps me in identifying what the contours of the problem are uh, a lot of my logical sort of analytical skills come from there but lastly i also feel like there are a lot of technical terms that one sees in a lot of these policy documents being thrown around and i sometimes just know probably intuitively the sources to go to to read up a bit more or where could i read up a bit more and of course i have a huge network of engineering people and stakeholders that i can talk to i mean those are ripple effects really uh, but in general i think my engineering degree is just very essential to how i think as an individual and as in a professional and some of those skills come in very handy and not to forget the time management skills one learns in engineering colleges because the deadlines is just too many and you're always struggling so yeah i, I mean that would be my answer if, if the answer is what i read in the classroom does that come in handy i don't think that i mean i can honestly say yes to it but probably my approach to solving some of those issues does come in handy uh, so yeah since you are an example of someone who transitioned from one career to another what advice can you give to someone who is from a different background but want to work in the tech policy space i'd say do it for the right reasons you know that's very important because it's 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 ultimately hard it's hard because at some point you question the process or you question your need for be to be doing this or sometimes where there is there is no tangible sort of an output and there that times when you really that existential crisis hits you hard i'd be lying but 
it it is great if you enjoy if you're doing it for the right reasons and if you enjoy the process like i love the process of just uh, reading up documents going in the weed of things learning more about things writing about them so i think like i love my job because it gets me to do things i've always enjoyed about life which is reading writing talking about some of these issues so do it for the right reasons don't do it because you feel it suddenly become very popular or don't do it because you feel that a lot of jobs are there uh, and there is i'm not i'm not saying that there is anything wrong if if someone wants to do it that way also but i realize that you i mean at least to me it can get more frustrating because you all know we're not the best paid people in the industry right like so always remember why you're doing it and if you enjoy the process and do it because at times it can really uh make you impatient so you have to have to love the process well i can certainly see your passion we spoke at length about otts the telecom service providers and the arguments that circle around them i just wanted to know that if someone were to write a paper or would like to publish something in this space what could be some good topics for them to research on i mean there are a lot really right like um, even in this cons- consultation paper the one question that i've been thinking a lot and i've been wanting to explore more is that they've talked about the selective bans of otts now uh, how does that work what's the technical feasibility i have my uh, experience tells me and i've spoken to a couple of people where it's very difficult to implement how banning in itself is problematic is part one of it but also this other part of it is like what are you thinking about how do you do it can you really do it without infringing on people's right to privacy those are some questions that remain unanswered and i think like a technical plus uh, a policy analysis will make for a great read because uh, that's one part the other part is really uh, if you want to talk about the fair share bit per se uh in the eu some countries have uh, asked for a regulatory impact assessment to the commission and they said you know what we don't just buy it like uh, have you even done a proper regulatory impact assessment so i think that in an indian context will again make for a very interesting read uh, where you could do a cross comparison uh, and a cross country analysis so so these are some some sort of interesting i think every new day is very interesting i think the draft telecom bill i've just heard has been cleared by the cabinet and be tabled soon some of those questions like the expansion of telecommunication services and and the impact that it could have on each one of us uh, uh the need for regulatory intervention i could go on all day really you know the wish list is long but yeah some of these issues are very timely and relevant if someone wants to wants to pick up and start writing all right thank you isha for your time i guess that's all the time we have for today to all our listeners out there Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to Security Chips and have a nice day. Thank you. Thanks Colin, thanks for having me.